This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good, Adam. How are you doing? Ah, pretty good. Thanks. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm great. Excellent. Massive show coming up. Uh, as always, there's a bit of uh, new economic jargon going around, mm. Thomas, which is exciting. Friendshoring. Is it just kicking your drunk mate off a boat? We'll find out. Another new craze sweeping workplaces called quiet quitting. Much better than those noisy quitters. And, Thomas, people trust you maybe because of your economics knowledge but possibly Mm -hmm. just because you have a beard. We're going to find out why that might be the case. But first, Thomas, the RBA has hiked rates again, again. (laughs) What does this mean for our GDP forecasts? Got another 50 basis points. We flagged this on the show last week and then Mm. RBA delivered, as expected, another 50 basis points taking the rate, the cash rate to 1.85%. So we've now had four consecutive hikes uh, and 1.75% in four meetings. So as we were saying last week, it's one of the most aggressive, if not the most aggressive hiking cycle in history. they got to stop having meetings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing good ever came from a meeting. If I've learned one thing in 25 years of gainful (laughs) employment... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Meetings get nothing done. This is <laughs> never more true. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. It is. It is a big U-turn. I mean, it's it's interesting for two reasons. Like one is that because it wasn't expected. So Phil Lowe and the and the RBA were 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 kind of stressing that they were, were going to have no rate hikes until twenty twenty four at the mm. earliest. Uh, we've now had 175 basis points by mid <laughs> by mid 2022, so that's a pretty big miss, and mm. there's a lot of people going like, you know, there's a, and there's a reasonable case there, like there's how like if you bought your home, you really stretched yourself to buy your home in 2021, yeah, on the understanding that rates weren't going anywhere for another two years or something, and then suddenly you got 175 basis points. I, I heard murmurings of even a, a class action against class the RBA. Action, yeah. Some sort of uh, yeah, some sort of class action to get together and and effectively sue the RBA for misleading information that's caused people to potentially have yeah. some significant financial distress. Yeah, that'd be yeah. a landmark case. It would <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be hard to it'd be hard to prove? I mean, I think I think you know they're saying like based they're. <laughs> Based on Not our really. forecast, just go back to the media releases from a year ago. 
We never said that. Uh, yes, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> yeah. No, but it was it was contextual. It, it, like you know, based on our forecast, we don't mm. expect to do this. And then economic reality comes in differently than you were forecasting. And then you say, well, we got overtaken by events, and with the new events. The, the rates are now appropriate. Mm. I think it would be the argument they would make. Yes. Well, I, well, I'm perfectly happy to let a jury of twelve of my peers. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> work that out. <laughs> that's the risk. That's the risk here. If we, if the, if the class action mm. gets up and the RBA has to go to court, there could be twelve people like me in there, Thomas. I might get called <laughs> as an expert witness. <laughs> You have been pretty across yeah. this, you know, throughout through the yeah, podcast. Yeah. We've been keeping a pretty close eye on events. I feel like you're pretty well placed. Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be a show? Our next podcast could be you as an expert witness in the courtroom and me sitting in as a juror. Yeah. yeah. So there's that sense that it's potentially misleading. Uh, it's also the the you know it's a really aggressive rate hike, and people are sort of saying is it is it does it need to be so aggressive and but the kind of context for that is that um, it was, in hindsight, overly aggressive on the way down. That we cut we cut rates much more quickly and aggressively than we needed to, right? With the benefit of hindsight, and same story with with the government stimulus mm. packages from the from Canberra. Like on both counts, with the benefit of hindsight, we just pumped primed the economy way more mm. than we needed to. A lot of hindsight going on, a lot of foresight. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Classic economist. Yeah. Big on hindsight, so much <laughs> the foresight. Yeah. But then, mm. but then if you look at you look at what what the RBA was working with. So the 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 government sort of health authorities they were they were projecting fifty thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand COVID deaths. Um, mm. In the end, we got twelve thousand, and a good chunk of those people dying were over age eighty three and we had sort of other illnesses associated with COVID. So that was a big miss. They're also talking about a peak hospitalization rate of 35,000 people a day into hospital. Mm. In the end, the peak was just 5,500, you know, and we're, and we're talking about shuttering the entire economy for six months. That didn't happen either. Mm. We had sort of patches of it. But but isn't this the point though? Like isn't this economic management and I've asked you before, why don't we just jack up rates to 3% right now if that's our target? And you've said, you, you said to me, well, duh, Adam, duh. Um, and then we went back and forth for a while and eventually, <laughs> eventually you said to me, um, because we need to gauge how we're going as we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's the, so wasn't that the same rationale on the way down? Like why did we, mm-hmm. why did we not gauge and read the room as we were going down mm-hmm. and go, oh, actually, you know, things aren't aren't panning out as bad. Maybe we can just slow this kind of slashing of rates down a little bit. Yeah, I think I think because most decisions in the economic space happen fairly slowly and gradually. So, particularly like if you're thinking at the firm level, like hiring in, intentions or investment intentions, uh, these things move quite slowly. It takes a while for you know just the even just the internal decision making process. Mm takes time and so it moves at a time scale where month to month or even like typically like six months isn't that long a time in in an economic cycle covid was really unique in the sense that 
you had this event that that changed the game almost instantaneously. So you lock mm. down an entire state or a nation. That is an instant decision impacting businesses immediately, and they need to respond immediately. It was into that immediate decision making process that the RBA then okay, we're just we're just slashing rates. And so right. if firms are thinking like, oh, do I just just sack everyone and try to like manage my debt costs or whatever and they go oh, okay whew, okay rba is a slash debt costs that's going to help things a bit and maybe it'll be okay so mm. i think i think that's why it was such a, a yeah a slash job at the start and because, and particularly because the outlook was was really you know potentially horrific and, and uncertain we just didn't know and so mm. there's a lot of what they call an insurance policy and they took out the rba took out insurance by slashing rates to the floor to be like well this just covers this covers us for the worst case scenario, and then right. Fulo said recently, so with the benefit of hindsight, it could be argued that we took out too much insurance. All right. So then now things are evolving, and the RBA has updated their forecasts, and they're now lower than where they were. So they're saying, "Yep, this is starting to bite. We're starting to see this have an impact." So these are the GDP forecasts. GDP right? forecasts. That's right. So right. whereas they were looking for two percent in twenty three and twenty four, that's now mm. down to one point seven five percent. So they're ratcheting right. that back. They're expecting unemployment to tick up a bit higher than they were previously, not not in a major way. They're forecasting inflation to peak this year sometime at 7.75%. And if that happens mm. at 7.75%, that means globally we get off pretty work, pretty lightly. We'll, we'll have done pretty right. well, I think, if we, if we peak at seven and three quarters. In the scheme of things. So mm. if the RBA's forecasts turn out to be true, mm. we'll we'll get off we'll get off pretty lightly. We'll do pretty well. Yeah. yeah. How confident do you reckon the public the Australian <laughs> public are <laughs> <laughs> in the RBA's ability to forecast <laughs> is at the moment. Do you reckon yeah. is it, is this gonna is this good news for us, do you think? Or No, yeah, it is true. I mean Treasury's on board with the seven point seven five percent as well. Oh yeah, yeah. They weren't on board with the rate f- with the uh, the other forecasts. Uh, no, I mean they just they just adjusted their forecast ahead of the RBA. I think isn't Albanese going to clear house at the RBA or someone was going? I read something. I glossed over it probably. Yeah, someone's. Oh no, there's an independent review that's been launched of the yeah. RBA. So the RBA was set up back in the nineties or something. It was given statutory independence back in the nineties and right. hasn't really had a review of how it's all okay. working since then. So there's been a bit of a push that it, that things need a, need a bit of a shake I wonder up. what possibly triggered that. I wonder what possibly triggered a widespread review of the RBA. Right, Thomas, I'm excited because we've got some new economics jargon, mm-hmm. friend-shoring. What's friend-shoring? Yeah, so this is talking about so this is this is the evolution of offshoring. Um, so offshoring was when this well yeah, described the phenomenon of, of jobs and industry being shipped offshore, sort mm. of that uh, multinationals did back through the eighties and onwards, um, in, in, in a pretty major way. Like so, in nineteen eighty two, U.S. multinationals had thirty um, percent of their labor forces abroad. By twenty fourteen, that was sixty percent. So sixty percent, sixty percent, yeah, yeah. Wow. So they were sort of U.S. multinationals, almost in name only. Yeah, and so and that was that was just a, a just a cost question. They could sort of out, offshore that manufacturing um, to places that had cheaper labor prices and 
make more money. And so that's, mm. that's what happened in a, in a pretty epic way. Uh, but now there's missiles flying over Taiwan. Right. Well, Nancy Pelosi was visiting. Mm. Yeah. Started firing missiles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd like that. If that was me, I'd be flattered yeah. that someone cares enough to start shooting missiles over my head. Yeah. Like, well, good, better off or worse. We're like, Adam's in town. <laughs> <laughs> Let's set a few scud rock, scud missiles off, would you? <laughs> yeah, just, just buzzing. Uh, yeah, yeah, not aimed at, not aimed at her, or at, would not. Yeah, they're not aimed at me. We're not firing them at you. We just thought we thought we'd let you know we've got missiles. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? So yeah, the the geopolitical landscapes being reconfigured, you could say, mm. so with particularly around Russia and China. So the China issue has been sort of bubbling away for a few years. Russia's much more recent, uh, much more recently. Um, but it is causing multinationals to reassess where they're looking and looking for looking to f- friendlier places, which is where we're getting the friendshoring from. Mm. So the economic rationale for having your your, your labour intensive industries offshore remains, but there's now just like incorporating in the geopolitical realities. And so Airpod, uh, Apple announced recently that they're moving their AirPod manufacturing from China to Vietnam. Right. Vietnam's one of the winners in this story. Because they're better friends with Vietnam? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Vietnam's yeah. a bit more aligned with, with the West. A bit more aligned with the West or a bit more obedient? Yeah, same, same. same. <laughs> 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 we yeah. like you because you don't talk back. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit, yeah, it is a bit like that. I mean... China's pretty like China has now this this practice of government units being embedded in all multinational companies. So if you want right. to if you want to run your business in China, you have to have a, a team, a unit of government officials working inside the company mm. with access to everything. So right. A lot yeah. of the companies like oh, it's a bit uncomfortable with that. I got I got some respect though for China in that sense. Like they're just kind of. They're like, well, if you want to do all of your business here and you want to, you know, set up shop and, and kind of make use of what we've created with our workforce and whatever it is, then yeah. there's a few conditions that come with it. They're not just, you know, they're not just being walked over, which I don't know. Mm. I've no, I have no idea on the detail of any of this, but, it, mm. but you know, they're not going to be bullied, which yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Because part of the attraction surely of offshoring mm. was the ridiculously cheap, Labor, yeah, yeah, but also the conditions that you know the p- big companies, multinationals turned a blind eye to the conditions that came with that cheap labor as well. They're like, oh, um, yeah, we're just happy to have shoes made for a dollar an hour. Mm. And what's that? Sweatshops. I, I sorry, I missed that. I couldn't hear. You said <laughs> dollar an hour, wasn't it? That's what we agreed. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Bye. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what China is. That's their motivation for doing that. Maybe not, but I mean, I think it, it, it is a good argument. I think Nancy Pelosi is going to send some missiles over your head for saying that kind of stuff. <laughs> bring it. Bring it. <laughs> I won't be bad. <laughs> you know, you look at you look at the rise of Western economies. So there, there's this myth that gets sort of peddled by the conservative think tanks that there's the free market economy. Like there was just this sort of level playing field and. Mm. Nations just happened to rise to power in the places that they were, and the the market remains free and uninfluenced by politics and military power. 
that's never mm. been true. Um, and even you look at like the rise of the UK economy, that that was largely driven by protectionism. That they they banned the export of raw wool at some point. One of the kings, really? the kings King Charles, I think, or something. Um, yeah, banned the export of raw wool, and so that created the um, wool processing industry in in Britain. Yeah, and so mm. yeah, so the, so and and then you look at a lot of a lot of yeah, as you're saying, like a lot of how the economy evolves is very self-interested around around particular powers, mm. and I think China yeah. sees that reality and and is is trying to meet it. Yeah, so it is sort of I think potentially reasonable at that level. But companies are worried about it. The companies are worried that they're going to get caught up in the in in the crossfire. It seems, it seems very short sighted, though. Like because the we were friends with China. Like Australia mm. was good friends with China up until you know yeah, twenty years ago. Not yeah, yeah twenty nineteen. So what, are we going to be saying soon? Oh, we're going to we're going to friend shore and and have our manufacturing and stuff done somewhere else in Vietnam instead of China because we're not friends with China anymore. Mm. Well. There's every chance we're going to be friends with China again mm. sometime soon and there's every chance, well, well I don't know, yeah. potentially that we're not going to be friends with Vietnam sometime soon or, you know, in, name any other country you want. Yeah. So isn't it a bit short-sighted that they're just kind of going, well, we're moving it from one place to another because of what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's hard to see Vietnam becoming an enemy quickly but then, you know, people were saying that about China. China was, was best friends best buddies with mm. America until suddenly it wasn't. I think potentially it was a bit naive how much trust uh, companies had in China given the, mm. the way the political system there is set up. So there's a bit of a blind eye turn to it. I think also the the transition costs aren't probably prohibitive that to just pack up a, man, a factory, like for Apple, I think it would mm. be a bit of a case of like, Okay, we we need to move from Vietnam. Who wants to host our AirPods manufacturing? And there'd be mm. there'd be you know a hundred countries around the world who would put it up, <laughs> who put their hand up. So you could pay, you could get some really cheap labour just to dismantle the factory, <laughs> pick it up and move it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cost you like a thousand bucks. It's two days' work. Yeah. So so I think I, I think like they'd sort of like. It's because it moves on sort of timescales like, you know, you set up a plant, you run it for, you get three or four good years out of it, you're happy, I expect. Mm. So, I mean, I've got no idea how manufacturing works, but <laughs> but I don't, I don't think, like, if, you know, if, if in five years Vietnam's not on the friendly side anymore, I don't think it's probably mm. going to be too hard for Apple just to go, okay, we'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You need manufacturing as a service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, so the, but the interesting thing with this is that it's all inflationary. So if you're not looking at the, the lowest cost ah. destination for your manufacturing, if, the, if that's yeah. no longer the sole rationale, if you're going to something that's a bit more expensive just and friendly, you're necessarily right. talking a bit more expensive. Yeah, so that, that's kind of necessarily inflationary. Mm. And so Zoltan Posar uh, from Credit Suisse had an interesting piece during the week they got a, they got a bit of attention but he's sort of talking about like we're in an era of economic war and that that era is going to be inflationary because yeah and he's saying like in the low inflation world that we've enjoyed for the past 20 years that was built on three things it was uh immigration keeping wages low in the u.s and other western countries the cheap goods from china based on cheap labor costs and cheap mm. russian gas powering europe and Germany, Germany specifically, he's saying like those are the things 
that cheap power, those those things that that gave us our low inflation environment. But the right. economic war that's happening is is undoing all of those things. So yeah, Donald Trump sort of like he sort of pushed an anti-immigration agenda. COVID sort of took care of the rest, and so immigration sort of has tanked. China's not producing as much as it was, and it's it's got its own zero COVID policy, so that's that's rolled it back. And then Russia's invaded Ukraine, and and so that that has interesting. So the U, first thing the US did was it weaponized the financial system, so it cut Russia out of the financial system and put a put a boot on its throat. Russia then weaponized energy and sort of throttled energy back mm. and jacked up energy prices, and that pumped inflation into the Western economies. His point is like. You know these economic things we talk about, like inflation, they're getting weaponized. Russia has weaponized inflation against, you know, Western economies and saying like, well, you know, back off, or I'm going to keep jacking up fuel prices and pushing up prices through your entire economy. Mm. But yeah, and it, and it means higher inflation for longer. If all of that's true, like if it all just unwinds naturally and peacefully, but you look at those things and they're not like they're not re- they're not going to reverse anytime soon so that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have high like super high inflation like continuing at 7.75% but it means that it, it that maybe the the era of super low inflation or you know deflation is is potentially behind us yeah I was thinking about Trump when you said Trump, he's been back in the news. Oh right! You made the claim yesterday that his, <laughs> you made the claim yesterday that the White House doctor really loved looking at his body. <laughs> um, <laughs> as soon as you said Trump, I didn't really hear a lot else of what you were talking about. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, let's take a break there. We'll grab a word from this week's sponsor and be back with more comedian versus economist right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. And Thomas, we talked about uh, friendshoring before the break bit more jargon coming at us now. Quiet quitting. What's quiet quitting all about? Mm. Yeah, this is, this is something from TikTok, uh, apparently. That's oh. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a thing then. Yeah, yeah. This is where we get all of our, <laughs> Thomas, we often get questions from, from listeners saying, what does Thomas read? <laughs> he seems very well informed. <laughs> TikTok, turns out. Yeah, just me and Phil Lowe doing dance challenges. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's these guys that get 2.6 million views. So that's, you know, that's enough to be newsworthy now. From right. the TikTok creator, ZK Chillin. <laughs> one, of, one of the greatest economic minds <laughs> I think you'll find. <laughs> there, there was, what's his name? Keynes. <laughs> Keynes. And ZK Chillin. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. One of the greatest economic minds of our generation. Now, th- so this video was a follow-up to his seminal Wealth of Nations. Yeah, he's had 2.6 mm. million views. Basically saying, like, just stop working so hard, everyone. He said, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. He's calling it quiet quitting. So he said, you're not outright quitting your job, but you're quitting the idea mm. of going above and beyond. You're doing your duties, but you're no longer subscribing to the hustle culture uh, and the mentality that work has to be your life. Just imagine like 15-year-old employees at Macca's listening to this going, you what now? <laughs> like just this is what we do. We just rock up, do work, <laughs> get paid and then leave. Like I don't know. Yeah, if you, yeah. you know, if you you got time to lean, you got time to clean. <laughs> they say this is what he's saying. Uh, you, know, you got time to, you got time to lean. You got time to lean. Just I got, that's all I got. All I got is time to lean. <laughs> but here, there's no time to clean. I haven't got any. I've got leaning, and then I've got to go home. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think I think I think the point that he's talking with with hustle culture is saying like mm. in certain industries in particular, like you, you know, it's kind of inspe- expected in the early days of your career that you're just going super hard. You're putting in the long hours, eating at your desk late nights, coming in mm. on weekends, that kind of thing, and and hustling hard. Um, and he's saying like, whatever, let's, let's, just don't do let's it. Not. Yeah, but don't quit your job. That's true. I mean, everyone's everyone's seeking that kind of the world. We're prioritizing the work life balance more now, aren't we? Like, so you know, there's people talking about you know the four day work week trial that we talked about in the UK. Mm. I don't know where that got to. We never got the report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so people are prioritizing. I don't know. Is this mm. a COVID thing? Like, I mean, is this a- I think I think I think there's two things that sort of have happened one like one is like with covid covid created this this sort of sudden stop moment where everyone sort of just took a look at their life and went like okay what am i doing Mm. and a real turning point like it was that real prompt of like you know i I knew a lot of people who like you know we're getting ready to quit do a sea change do something new covid came along and we're like okay right this is my moment i'm going for it Mm. so there was that and then there was work from home which which really shifted up the work-life balance and then people People were at home like, hey, I actually really like this. This is kind of nice and, you know, don't want to be doing so much time in the office. The second thing that sort of feeds into all that is, a re- I think, is a really tight labour market. Yeah, right. You have this sort of job security and lot, lot, I think people are aware that there are other job options out there. They're not if, – mm. if they lose their job, they're going to find something pretty soon. I think people have that confidence. And so with that confidence, you look at the whole work story and go like, well, is this really working for me? Mm. And yeah, jobs suck. Like, and particularly the I think the way we we've set them up. Like, you well, know, it's understandable. You're an economist. You probably do think that. <laughs> um, some of us enjoy our work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but if you got to be paid to do it, by definition, you don't enjoy it. I think. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit skeptical. I mean, there's there's moments where you can enjoy it and have meaning but i also but i also think like a balanced life can't be achieved with a 40-hour work week 
Yeah. Like I don't think that creates a rounded human who's enjoying life. Yeah, right. I think, work to live, don't live to work. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, and the other thing, interesting thing about that's coming from the field of happiness studies, so Daniel Kahneman I'm a huge fan of, was one of the pioneers in that field. But one of, and it's an economics discipline, but one of the things that's come out of that is that one of the key determinants of how happy you are in life is how much autonomy you have of your time. Mm. So like if you get right. if you get to control your schedule, that makes you happy. That increases your happiness. Right. But jobs by definition are the the dis disautonomy of time. That you you don't have control of your time at a real fundamental yeah. level. You can you can get part of it in like one, one the the implication of that in the in the management studies is if you give people more control over the way they set their work schedules, they're happier. But like I think at a, at the broader view, like if you've got to spend all your daylight hours five mm. days a week in the, in an office, you don't have control over your time, and that's a recipe for being miserable. We know that from from studies. And then you get home and you got kids, yeah. and you got kids needing to get to school after school sport <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And before you know it. You, you're sitting up at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> with nothing to do, just enjoying. <laughs> enjoying the autonomy. Not having, right. Enjoying the autonomy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Working and then there's kids and dinners and the mm. cleaning up and the routine and then 10.30 to 11 p.m. there's memes that you just get to do on your own time. <laughs> just got to punch out some white hot memes <laughs> and then finally get to relax for the day. <laughs> All right, Thomas, finally, uh, there's some good news for men with beards. What's mm-hmm. going on? Yeah, so now this is some, some hard science reported in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, apparently they, they did it. There's a meta study that the Wall Street Journal uh, cover, covers, which so there were five studies which analysed mm. the power of beards versus other facial hairstyles, uh, <laughs> moustaches and not elsewhere specified. And other, and other sideburns. I used to rock some some yeah. pretty hefty sideburns That's for a right. while. You had your chops phase, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> bit Adam misses that. <laughs> oh, I think I think as a family we're much worse off <laughs> since I got rid of the sideburns. I think, yeah, honestly my life's gone downhill since yeah. since I got rid of them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll get them back. Yeah, Samson right. side chops. Lost a week now. Yeah, so they analysed the power of beards versus other hairstyles or no hair. I think this is just just contained to men uh, and looking at the influence of that on um, sales, their ability to be a, as, as a, you know, their performance as a salesperson. Hmm. I didn't, they didn't measure that directly, but what they did find is there's a strong correlation between um, having a beard and being perceived as having expertise Across a number ah, of industries, maybe we've found the formula, the root, the root formula of the success of comedian versus economist. Mm-hmm. Is maybe it's just down to the fact that you've got a beard. In fact, if you're listening out there, ask yourself: Would you even be listening to this show if Thomas didn't have a beard? <laughs> <laughs> just search deep within yourself. Try and try and put the beard, mm. put the beard to, to the side for a moment, yeah. and just ask. Would I li- would I still be listening if I didn't? Maybe you didn't. Maybe now Thomas isn't looking like such an expert. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to shave my beard off for November, and everyone's going to wake up. Going, this guy's a hack. This guy, like what he's talking about? <laughs> he has no idea what he's on about. Uh, 
So, okay, so you're seen as more of an expert. Mm. Yeah, you have more expertise. Expertise is then associated with perceptions of trustworthiness and trustworthiness is connected to increased likelihood of purchase. Right, so you can sell more. Mm. I mean, because you go into the, um, you go into like, the last time I bought a car, I bought a used car from a, a used car lot. And they always do that thing in the used car lot where you, you negotiate with the salesman up to a point and then you're like, look, can you do it for 23000 And he goes, ooh, I'm going to go and check with the boss. And he goes off. And, and I've always thought there's an unfair balance of power that he gets to go and ask mm, someone else mm, and have mm. this little charade that goes on. <laughs> so I'm thinking like the next time I might just take a bearded friend with me. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he goes, so you're happy with the price, well, after he's been off to talk to his boss, I'm just going to go, one moment, my good man, I'm just going to go and consult with my my expert friend over here <laughs> and just go and, just go and murmur with a bearded man for about two minutes. Come back, 22000 final offer, best I can do. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know because I think that, I think there's something there's there's surely there's maybe there is something in it. Mm, mm. Um, I think so. I mean, because you know, if you think about the stereotypical picture of a scientist or something, if you yeah, when you're yeah, a kid, yeah. there's like a someone with I don't know glasses and a beard. Yeah. I don't know if you do very the, wise. There was beards, a, beards have been associated with wisdom for a long time, haven't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, old age. I mean, every you can't imagine a wizard without a beard, right? That's right. Yeah. The wisest of all. Yeah. That's how they got their name. The other thing they noted there was that facial hair does not consistently mm. increase perceived attractiveness, that's, which oh, that, no, did, that doesn't never, sound like real I don't think anyone ever. <laughs> I don't think anyone was suggesting that. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, the, the risk we've got, there's a big risk here, which is that beard splaining could become a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just have guys that don't know what they're talking about walk again with a beard. Look, look, everyone. Do you really want to know what's going on? I'll tell you. Uh, all right. I reckon that might do us for this week. Uh, thank you once again for listening out there. We really do appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to check out all the other great podcasts from Equity Mates Media. Get Started Investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, Your Own Good Company, Talk Money to Me, Crypto Curious, The Dive. You know them all. I've said them every time. Uh, thank you. Uh, you can, of course, we'd, we really would like it if you send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or via the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. And if you've made it this far, then you're obviously enjoying the show. Uh, so why not go and like us, rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast. That would help us out a lot as well. But other than that, that's it for us. We will talk to you again next week. It's bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. 
We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.